faith a necessity for every believer. Hebrews 11.1 1 describes faith as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Having faith in God means having confidence in Him. It is an unwavering assurance. It is trust. But for there to be trust, there must be truth. In this season of Say Little Prayer Nigeria, we deal with a fundamental foundation of faith, which is truth. When we know the truth about God, about ourselves, about a circumstance, we will be able to apply faith the right way. And we will find that with the right word, not the illusions or adjustments man has consoled himself with over time, but the true word of God, backing our faith. Faith will stand. It will not bend. It will not break. It will not yield. Why? Because we are not deceived. Listen and be blessed. Good evening and welcome to Say to Prayer Nigeria. My name is Sharon Tanko and I am your host. I hope your week past has been lovely and that your week to come will be filled with the gracious goodness of God. Last week we were in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and we focused on four truths. The first of which was that faith is a title deed. I explained it with um, using the title date of a car. It doesn't matter where that car is. Once they see the title date, they know the owner is you. They know that the car belongs to you and will be returned. Faith is the assurance with which we collect from the supernatural into the natural, which led to the second truth, which is that the only way to pull from the supernatural to the natural is by faith. You cannot pull from the supernatural to here without faith. Every single thing you see that was made from man to the TV was made with faith. There was a, a, a conf confident assurance attached to the faith of whoever it was that used it, whether it was the old person that invented a TV or whether it was God that invented man. Every single one of them had to use faith to draw from the supernatural to the natural. It was how we were designed to create. Man was designed, never forget that man was designed to create. The only successful way to create is by use of faith. Which led to the third one, which is that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Simply speaking, when God made man, he made man with the intention of having a family. The intention for God making man is so that he would have a family of people who are the same as he. God made everything, but the only people he made with the capacity to create was man. Every other thing he made, only man can create. Only man is gifted with the ability to create. When we exercise faith in God, that means faith in love, faith in goodness, faith and confidence in the promises of God. We are acting like him. It's a recognition of our sonship, of our title as children of the Most High. This is what is pleasant to God. This is why outside of faith in God, you cannot please him. Because outside of faith in God, what you're exercising is faith in the devil, also known as fear. So when you pull things 
with fear. They're pulling all the bad stuff. You're showing who your father is, who your parent is, the person you take after. That's the devil. You can't please God by being the devil. You can only please him by recognizing your sonship and his fathership over you. When you exercise faith in him, your confidence, and you use that to pull from the supernatural to the natural the way he did, it pleases him because you are showing that yes, you are your father's son. Then finally, we dealt with expectation. We said that expectation is a driving force of faith. Where there is no expectation, your faith won't work. There is no anyhow about it. Abraham didn't leave the, his father's land to go to where God wanted him to be without any expectation. He didn't follow God blindly. Don't make the mistake to think that, oh my God, he had no idea where he was going. So he followed God blindly. That's not it. He had a promise from God. God showed him something and he believed in that thing. And he believed in God's capacity to do the thing that he has promised to do. That was why he obeyed. He obeyed God with an expectation in mind. Every single one of them did. Moses did it. Uh, Sarah, did, Sarah, Sarah did it. David did it. Samuel did it. Samson did it. Every single one of them mentioned in that whole chapter 11. Every single one of them had faith. They expected something from God. That was why their faith was strong enough to stand the test of time. They were not swayed by every other thing. They didn't make compromises on their faith because they had a finish line ahead of them that they could see and they knew this was what they wanted so they refused to compromise their faith for anything. Now, on to today. We're dealing with other truths, more truths and we're almost at the end of the season. But before we begin, shall we sing into prayer? Heavenly Father, use me as a vessel. Let my words be your words. Use me as an instrument for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12. I'll read from verse 1 to 3. Amplified version still. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness, stripping off any unnecessary weight, and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us. Let us run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set before us, looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, the first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity. Who for the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him endured the cross, disregarding the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, revealing his deity, his authority, and the completion of his work. Just consider and meditate on him who endured from sinners such bitter hostility against himself. Consider it all in comparison with your own trials, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The truth that we're dealing with here today is that Christian living refines you. It will take God to live like God. You can try as much as you want, but if in the old days with the 600 plus sacrifices they had to make and the daily burning in the temple, night and day they burned the sacrifice, if they couldn't live like God with all 
of those sacrifices with, with the Ark of the Covenant there, with the victories to testify of God, if they couldn't live like God, then without Him, you need to know that it's going to be eternally difficult for you to even attempt it. In short, it's impossible. You can't live like God without God. That is why Jesus came. That is why Jesus died. Now, Jesus dwells inside of you. God is living inside of you. And I told you before that your change, any real change that you want to experience has to start from the inside. You can alter the outside as much as you want to alter it. If your inside is dirty, it will show on your outside. If your inside isn't fixed, then you will, it will be obvious to any Tom, Dick or Harry that wants to look at you. So, when you're spending your time with God, when you're fellowshipping with God, when you're living this God life that he has intended for you, especially if you do it with him by your side, it will culture you. As when you give your life to Christ, you wear a diamond in the rust. The more you go through this life with God, the more refined you become. You need to be refined by fire. Holy Ghost fire. It's going to take confidence in God. That is faith in God. And it's going to take you not backing down for you to be able to live this life with God. And that is why we have the experience of Jesus. And this is why the only person we should ever make a comparison to in this life should be with Jesus. Don't make your comparison to any other person. Everybody is running a different race. Both of you can be cleaners and you're still running different races. One person is for something, you are for another thing. Every spirit is different. Every spirit is an individual tailored to God. So your only comparison, the only person you should ever have to compare yourself to is Jesus. You use his life as an example for yourself. You run your race in tandem with him. If God could do it so that despite the hostility that Jesus faced, he could fulfill the will of God still in his lifetime and with his death, then there is nothing that would stop you, that is capable of stopping you from fulfilling your own destiny in God on this earth in your lifetime. I don't think you've ever had to face a struggle where you had to sweat blood to recover. And if you have, then congratulations because you're one of the chosen few. But it takes a fine tuning for you to have that confidence, that confidence in God, that no matter what, He's not going to let me down. He has already said it, that He will forsake you. He will not abandon you. He will see you through and He is with you now and for always. You are His son. You are His daughter. You belong to Him. He is not going to let you go for anything. When you have confidence like that and you walk with God, you live your life on the word of God, upon his assurances, then your life, your Christian living, would automatically be refined. You see, the world doesn't dictate to you. You dictate to it. The circumstances of this world do not determine you. Don't let frustrations change you. Don't let it allow you to make compromises on your faith because your faith is supposed to be uncompromised it's supposed to be as solid as the confirmation that god would do it that he has already given you your faith should be as sure as god when your faith is like that 
you will be made a precious jewel, but not just unrefined silver. Hebrews chapter 12, from verse 7, then I'll read 10 and 11. Verse 7, you must submit to correction for the purpose of discipline. God is dealing with you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now verse 10, for our earthly fathers disciplined us only a short time, as seen best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. For the time being, no discipline brings joy, but seems sad and painful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, that is right standing with God, and a lifestyle and an attitude that seeks conformity to God's will and purpose. The truth that we're dealing with here is, whether you like it or not, God will discipline you. You see, in chapter 8, we saw that our relationship with God is personal. It's just you and him. It's me and God. There's no other person between it's just me and my father. Me and my father, me and my father. He is our coach. He is our father, he's our teacher, and he's our guide. It is delusional to think that you are going to live your life now that you're a Christian. You will live your life without ever making mistakes. It's not possible. You're going to make a mistake and he's going to correct you. Now the ability to acknowledge that you have done wrong and to accept the correction for the wrong thing that you have done is a testament to your growing maturity in God. See, you can ask if you know one, you can ask uh, any dancer, any athlete, or, or any person, any serious person that is trying to lose weight, how hard it is at the beginning. Because it's tough. Your body is not used to it. You are shaking. Your, but you keep on. You push on. Your body is shaking. Your muscles are quivering. You feel aches and pains all over your body. But you press on. You push on. You push on until it gets easier. And over time, with consistency, with practice, with diligence, it becomes easier. It's like learning a new skill. Any skill you want to learn, at the start, it is hard. You don't think you can do it. But eventually, if you keep pressing on and don't quit, you're going to get to a point where it's like breathing to you, where it is natural, and then, then you can be a victor. But if you quit, what victory are you going to testify to? When God designed you, he designed you to be the winner, the victor, not the victim. If you quit, if you refuse to accept correction for any wrong thing that you have done, if you refuse to let him rebuke you, to let him coach you, then you're just going to be stagnant. You're going to be like that servant that had the one talent and went and buried it in the sand. We all know what happened to him. The one who got the five talents and made it ten, they took his one and gave it to him. Right now, you are a canvas. You can either choose to let God paint on you, or you can be put to the side. And then another new canvas that wants God to paint on it will flourish in the beauty of the design you will create. God has to discipline you. There has to be discipline. Because it's going to take a consistent training to get rid of all the worldly learning 
that you have acquired over time. You've been cultured right from birth. You've been groomed in the world right from birth. In fact, it was your nature, so grooming was unnecessary, but now you have attained a new nature, and you need to learn what this new nature is like and what it entails. God has to teach you. You have to be willing to be taught. You have to be willing to accept rebuke. And you have to be willing to learn from it. Or what's the use? Hebrews 12, 14 to 15. I'll read. Continually pursue peace with everyone and the sanctification without which no one will ever see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of God's grace, that no root of resentment springs up and causes trouble, and by it many be defied. The truth that we're dealing with here is that spite will lay waste to the goodness of God in your life. God desires that you hold no grudges in your life. He doesn't want you holding a grudge because when you have that person in mind, you are deliberately, intentionally looking away from God. That means you're shifting your focus from God. And if your focus is not on God, know this, there are only two options. It's either God or it's the devil. If it's not God, then it's the devil. So if your focus is not on God, then your focus is on the devil. It will derail you, that grudge you're holding against the person. Now, at the end of the day, God can save that person and God can use that person, but you still hold your grudge. So who is stuck? Is it the person that God has saved and delivered, or is it you who refuses to let go of a wrong that has done to you? See, the grudge may be justified. It may be well-deserved. The hatred, the spite, the anger, resentment that you feel towards a person may be well-deserved. But God doesn't want you to live your life like that. That is not the life that he has called you to. And if you choose that, then you are going in disobedience to the Father. And if you can't obey God, then you're not serving Him. You're serving your own purposes. Maybe at the end of the day, you gave your life to Christ, so you go to heaven. But you go to heaven accomplishing nothing because you did not do His will. The question for God is not, why did you not obey me? The question is, did you obey me? He wants you to pursue peace with everybody. That means friend, that means foe. Everybody, it doesn't matter what the person has done to you. At the end of the day, everybody stands on their own. You will answer for what he did, the way you will answer for what you did. So what will you do? God's desire is for us to spread the word. Take this gospel of Jesus Christ to the farthest reaches of this earth. That includes the person that you hate, that you despise, that you want to see their downfall. It includes them. Because what if God wants to use you as the only outreach? Maybe you are the only person that can actually reach this person. That your life being peaceful, forgiving them, moving forward, keeping peace, will inspire them to ask, oh, who is the God this person is serving? Why is he so at peace? I have tried and I have tried, and I haven't found peace in my life. What must I do to attain this peace? You could be the reason for that question. You may be the reason for his salvation. Now what if God has that, now God can use this person as he originally intended to use him for his purpose, for his goodwill. This person can save a person, can save two people, can save 10 people, can save a hundred, save a thousand. 
And at the end of the day, it started because you let go of whatever resentment, whatever grudge you had against this person. You focused on God. You, were, you refused to be distracted by the world. Because see something, a distraction, for it to be a successful distraction, it has to be something that would be reasonable for you to be distracted by. It has to be something specifically for you. Something that would definitely get your attention. So it always appears to be valid. It always appears to be rational. It always appears to be logical. A successful distraction is every one of those three things. But if you refuse to be distracted by what seems logical, what seems rational, what seems to be you know, just the way life goes, and you focus instead of a God completely and totally, this focus attracts the unbelievers because they are curious. Yes, you will be curious. Would you not be curious about someone who is so easy to forgive something so unforgivable? You want to know, why does he get his assurance from? Where is his peace coming from? Why is he okay with doing this? Is that something that I can achieve as well? I want to have that peace too. How do I get a peace like that? These are the questions that will wander into the mind of somebody who is sure that you are doing something out of the ordinary. The ordinary is resentment. The ordinary is hatred. The ordinary is spite. All these things, they block God from attending to you because you have moved away from where he can help you into the arms of the devil who seeks only your destruction. And we all know that God can help you if you don't want him to. Don't be surprised. He won't help you if you don't ask for it. He won't help you if you don't want him to help you. Why? Because it's your will. Do you want him to? If you don't want him to, he can't do anything about it. He made you to have free will, to exercise your will at your discretion. So yeah, spite will cut you off from God because it just means that you pull yourself away from him. It's like this. You can either rejoice in the light with this person that you have been angry at, grateful that God has saved this person, that God can now use this person, or you can wallow in your hatred in the darkness. But know this, in the light there is God. And where God is, darkness has no authority, cannot even penetrate. But in the dark, there is the devil and you are an all-you-can-eat buffet. So, three things. One, Christian living refines you. Because it takes a certain level of maturity to live the life that Jesus lived. It takes a certain level of maturity to not react to the things deliberately designed to draw a negative reaction from you. Two, whether you like it or not, God is going to discipline you. As long as you're his child, you're going to learn what it means to be a child. He has taken you from slave to free man. You need to know what it means to be a free man. And three, spite will lay waste to the goodness of God in your life. 
You can't say that you are acting like God or you are representing God as his son. And instead of love, all you are doing is hating. Instead of love, all you're doing is despising, loathing, watching someone and waiting for his downfall. It can't work like that. God can't work there. That's not an atmosphere designed to accommodate him. So you let go of your grudges. You let go of Satan's hand that you are holding because that's what that is. And you hold on to God. You watch him and hold him close because he is your only salvation. Shall we say a little prayer? Heavenly Father, I recognize you as my Lord and Savior. I recognize you as my Father and my Teacher. Please, I am willing to accept the discipline if you are willing to give it to me. I will be obedient to you. I will not despise anybody. I will hold no grudges. And if there is any grudge that I am holding right now, please make it known to me so that I can be set free from it. I am choosing you over me. I am choosing you, Lord, over circumstances. I am choosing you over the pain in my heart. Please, Lord, help me let go. I want to be free. Help me let go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for staying tuned. Until next week, God bless you and God keep you. Good night. The God we serve is the living God. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. But he is more than just God. To me, he is my brother, my teacher, my friend. He is my home. If you are under the sound of my voice and you want him to be all these things to you as well, please repeat after me. Dear Jesus, Thank you for your sacrifice. I know now that you went to that cross for me, that you died for me. You went through hell so that I wouldn't have to. And I am grateful, Lord. From this day forward, I belong to you. I accept you as my Lord and personal Savior. Rest in my heart from now on. I surrender all that I am to you. Use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just said that prayer with me, congratulations. You are now a member of the body of Christ. Welcome home. And for those of us who have been blessed by this message and are led to give to the gospel, feel free to sow your seed at the following Access Bank account. That is 151 one three two one seven two one i repeat one five one one three two one seven two one i assure you that your seed will be used solely for the propagation of the gospel my name is sharon tanko and god bless you as you give <laughs>